with all due respect, Danny, you know, I, Danny's a friend. Um, he he's a weak link. Oh my goodness! He's a uh, he's he's a weak link in this match. I mean, <laughs> look, I think that Anish, uh, you know, he might ruin it himself, but but Danny is is uh, is a weak link for sure. It's it's all gonna it's it's going down. It's all going very downhill for for my my good friend Anish Giri, AG as he calls himself. Ding was off from the start. I I <laughs> felt it after I was the first player to play him. Yeah, I felt it after three moves. Welcome back, everybody, to another C-Squared podcast episode. Fabi, you just got back to the States after a uh, pretty adventurous trip in Europe. You were in uh, Germany playing the Freestyle Chess GOAT Challenge, Chess uh, 960 Fisher Random, uh, however you want to call it. But uh, overall, it looked like a very fun event. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, your experience with the Freestyle GOAT Chess Challenge, episode one. Yeah, you know what's funny? Um, before we get into that, mm -hmm. like the last time we spoke, I was in Germany already. Yeah. And like five minutes after we finished talking, I started to feel like really, really bad. Really? And I was like, okay, this is ass. And I went to get dinner and I was like, I can't, I can't possibly have dinner. It's just so bad. And then I came back to my room and I just like realized that I have food poisoning, um, which passed ra rather quickly, luckily. You got food but, poisoning in Germany? Yeah, I got I got food poisoning somehow. What did you eat? Uh, I think it was I, I to be honest, I don't know. I think it was maybe salmonella from eggs. From what I know, salmonella is pretty bad. Like it actually bad reads you. You know, it was like a day that I was um I was like feeling really bad and then I okay I I threw up and I suddenly started to feel so much better. Mm, mm. It was just like hours I was waiting for. Them. And then suddenly I feel so much better. But my, I was still drained after that for a few days. Um, and rather unluckily, I, I was playing this Champions Chess Tour like the day after. So I it was, uh, it was a pretty disastrous. I was like, I couldn't even focus on the moves. I was like, I was just moving on autopilot, not even looking at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then I went to things got better after that. I went to this um, place near Hamburg for the freestyle chess they called it that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. chess goat. I, I still feel like and actually we're. I still feel like calling it. Uh, sorry, what's that? Yeah, chess goat challenge, freestyle chess goat yeah, yeah. challenge. Yeah, I still feel like calling it Fisher Random, but. I understand. Okay, they want to rebrand it. Like chess, the St. Louis Chess Club also wanted to rebrand it. They called it Chess Nine LX, right? And they people are always trying to rebrand Fisher Random as something else, but I still would prefer to call it Fisher Random personally. But if they want to call it Freestyle Chess, I'll call it Freestyle Chess at yes. their tournament. Yes, I think you said something quite uh, smart about it. Who is Fisher and why is he random? I guess that's the point. They just want to brand it for newcomers in the chess world for the new generation. Of, yeah, uh, it, could, it could be that. They they just think like, I think that's the reason that the guy gave. Like he explained that he just wanted to um, give a clean kind of name that is very intuitive for it, which it's true. Freestyle is sort of intuitive for the newcomer. It's like, 
you're mixing up the pieces. It's a bit freestyle, right? You you have no no crutch in the opening, no opening theory to rely on. I like the freestyle uh, so, yeah. part of it. Yes, I, I I don't understand the goat part of it. I guess it has something to do with I don't know uh, Magnus being involved and him considering Magnus the goat or something like that. But what's what was quite interesting Actually, to see com was that common there... misconception. Uh, it had nothing to do with Magnus. It nothing was just that yeah? okay. they were on a goat farm. It was, um, yeah, uh, people don't know, but it was actually a goat farm. And um, there were just goats everywhere. It had nothing to do with <laughs> Okay, so the, the guy is just into goats. No, I'm, I'm kidding. This, it was, this young uh, guy. No, no, it was. Well, he's not a. He's not a young. Not not a young guy. No, Jan. Jan. That's his name, right? Oh, Jan. Jan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jan, yeah his Jan his name Bittner. is Jan. Jan or... Bittner. Yeah. yeah, of course, it was supposed to be like greatest of all time. So it's branded around Magnus, um, who it's it's arguable. Like we can argue who the greatest of all time is. Of course, some people will say Gary. Magnus even said Gary. Some people will say Magnus. Um, some people might even say someone else. Although usually the discussion revolves around those two players. Yeah, Fisher, maybe. Yeah, some people might say Fisher, or some people even might say like Lasker. I, I don't know. I mean, it's some people have weird ideas. For me, it's pretty clearly between Gary and Magnus with maybe a slight edge to Gary because his dominance. We just it's it's probably not possible anymore. But he would go years without even not without not winning a tournament. Yeah. So he would go years without getting second place even once. Mm -hmm. It's it's just impossible these days, but somehow he was so far ahead. So no matter how great Magnus is, it's still difficult to to beat that. You know, it's just it's a lot. Uh, but of course, they are both in their uh, own ways ha have some claim to the greatest of all time title. We can we can definitely say. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was a great tournament. It really was a great tournament. I'm not just saying that. Um, but it's uh, the organization was really uh, excellent, pretty much the best I've seen in terms of organization, you know. And uh, that's actually how it looked like from a spectator's point of view as well. It definitely felt like it's geared towards making the players feel very welcomed and basically feel like superstars. Like, okay, there is an element of uh, trying to commercialize chess and freestyle chess however you want to call it and 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 the broadcast they were trying to com commercialize the broadcast as well that was pretty obvious you know with uh, the money with uh, the, the jacks and kings and whatnot with the jackets i really like the jackets actually i didn't realize that that's going to be uh, an element of it but i really like the jackets aspect of it um what was the most let's say uh, important factor in your opinion as a player that really made it feel like okay, yes, I'm valued here. I'm, I feel like a superstar. Well, the the thing is that we were staying at his own resort, mm. uh, which is usually a place where they host, let's say, um, like summits or I don't know, uh, you know, a gathering of important people, politicians or celebrities or or whatever. So, um, it's. Basically, it was very easy for him to make it as comfortable as possible for the players because he controlled the environment. So we felt absolutely, um, I, I mean, I can't speak for everyone 100%, yeah. but I can speak for myself. And I think probably other players would uh, would agree with the sentiment generally that we felt pretty much at home and very t well taken care of. And uh, it was quite luxurious. 
the resort, the food, uh, the playing conditions, everything was pretty well thought out. I think that because it was their first time, definitely some format questions, uh, definitely some things could be improved with the format. Uh, and the players also, I think, mostly would agree with that, that the two-day preliminary of Rapid for basically not much, yeah. uh, like we didn't play for much, was a bit unusual. And um, and then but like five players... Given the format, Sorry. given it being chess, uh, freestyle chess or chess 9LX or chess 960, however you want to call it, given that didn't you feel that those two extra days for playing for pretty much sitting in the tournament and not much, uh, would you say that helped you ease into the new format? Okay, but but let's look at it. Yeah, sure, you could say that it's sort of easing into the format, but it's also two days. It's not like one day of blitz. It's two yeah. two full days of rapid, six hours a day one day we played. That's quite a lot. It's, it's not like... And of course, you still want to play well. You don't want to... You it's don't want competition. to zero effort. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a bit energy draining. And then at the end, let's say Noterbeck wins. And then he feels like, what did I really gain out of winning? Okay, he played Ding. So he can say, yeah, this was in this time when Ding was not in shape, probably the match that he would be happiest to play, that he would play rather play Ding than someone else. Well, maybe. I'm not 100% sure, but maybe that's how he felt. But if you look at the rest of it, like... Normally, the higher up you get, the more advantageous it should be. Mm -hmm. But Ali Reza got fourth, and he plays Magnus, who got fifth place. Yeah, And that is objectively a worse pairing. And we can just say there's nothing to discuss who you're more comfortable against. It's worse. It's more difficult to play Magnus than it is to play, for example, Keimer. Yes. And let's say Levon played Keimer, getting seventh place. So it was better to get fourth place or seventh place. Well, objectively, we have to say that it's better to get seventh place which is just strange mm -hmm. uh of course you can say yeah this happened because magnus underperformed and who can predict that mm -hmm. but then it's basically going to be like um like you have to look around and try to figure out who you want to play like in the last game against levon i was actually thinking about this because i was playing the game at some point i realized i'm kind of in control of this game and i was thinking well i if i win i get third mm -hmm. for sure mm -hmm. if i draw I probably get fourth and I'm looking and I'm seeing, okay, Magnus is probably getting fifth because he's, he seemed to be losing against Noterbeck at that time. And of course, like no matter what, I would have still tried to win the game because it's just like on principle, I'm going to try to win the game. But I was having these thoughts during the game. Like it's weird if I win and then I get a harder pairing than if I drew. Right. I mean, this doesn't really add up logically. Uh, but in the end, it, it was, in fact, true that I won. Um, I got third place. But there was some scenario where, let's say, I draw, I get fifth place, and then I um, and then I win, I get fourth place, and something like this where it's actually better to, to draw than to win. And I think my third place in the Rapid ended up being quite a good pairing. But, of course, I think that it should matter more. Like, you should get some advantage for winning. Like, Noterbeck should have had some advantage, not just that he plays Ding. Maybe the way Ali they Reza do it in, in with the qualification for the playing uh, during the Champions Tour, where you actually get to choose if you choose who you want to play, for example. In the yeah, I thought matches. about this. But this also has a big... Uh, this really... This means that fourth place is, again, very bad. Mm -hmm. 
because this doesn't give fourth place a choice. You would think that the first four players choose, but what happens is only the first three choose. Correct. So the first one chooses. Let's say it's Norbeck. Let's say he decides to play Ding. Second one chooses. It's, it's Keimer. Let's say he decides that he wants to play Gukesh, for sure. example. Then I'm third. Mm-hmm. I decide that I want to play Levon. Mm-hmm. Fourth gets Magnus. That's it. Yeah. Fourth doesn't have a choice. So what is the choice? Like again, your the fourth place person is going to be is going to automatically get the hardest opponent from the remaining players. So in this format, oh yes, and what you're saying is basically it's um yeah, I guess fourth and fifth place doesn't really change much. If you're finishing in fourth or fifth place, it doesn't really change much. Well, it does. I mean, because yeah, you'll you'll get for like the so you reward the top three in that format. Yeah, but actually fifth place might be better because then, like, let's say if an underdog gets in the top three, then you could get picked by an underdog. But in fourth, you're automatic. I can give you another example, which I, I was talking to Vincent about this stuff. I was actually I was talking to a bunch of the players about this, but Vincent in particular gave an example from his recent uh, Champions Chess Tour. And then he, he just got Wesley because mm-hmm. he... He had to pick, and Wesley was the only one there. So Wesley was in the bottom half, so he gets basically the hardest opponent out of the potential picks. And and then he gave me an example. He was like, well, to qualify for Division One, because of this format, I had to beat Wesley, and then I had to beat Ali Reza, and I had to also win a match before that. So it was. it's not like it's impossible to do this, but it is enormously difficult just to qualify for Division One because this system gave him, of course... Always someone will be unhappy with any system. There will yeah. be someone who gets left out, someone who gets an advantageous um, spot. But I think if we are if we can't find the perfect system, we might as well not waste two days playing rapid chess <laughs> to decide this imperfect system, right? Yeah. We can play one day of Blitz. That's what I was suggesting. That's basically one day what Blitz. they do in Norway, right? Yeah. Norway and same chess. thing. Yeah. But instead of two days of rapid, you play, play one day of Blitz. It's a bit... Uh, because we're not like playing for money, we're not playing for rating, we're not playing. It's it ends up being a little bit for nothing, you could say, for for the spectators, I guess. But but okay, you a... could say that you're not playing for nothing right now. But give it a few more years, and you know, just like Rapid and Blitz weren't as uh, weighted, uh, you know, uh, five ten years ago. Nowadays, Rapid and Blitz is extremely important, um, maybe on par with classical chess give it five to ten years um you have this guy you know organizing his uh tour uh maybe some other organizers are going to pop on the scene maybe fide is going to get involved uh they're going to give the reins to the chess 960 or like freestyle chess world championship there were some discussions on reddit that they might offer uh the world championship to uh, to jan bittner and suddenly chess 960 freestyle chess however you want to call it becomes a thing and becomes a very important thing of the chess uh, ecosystem. So um, I don't know. I, I agree, I, but I, I, I think that's we can't a... speak about hypotheticals. Right. I mean, I'm just right. talking in the in the current moment. Uh, if if things get rated, and then of course things are meaningful, and these rapid games will mean a lot. Sure, but at the moment there's no rating, no prizes for for these rapid games. The seeding didn't end up being like super consistent who you were playing against based on your seating so i felt like this was a, a slight flaw in the system right right no i i tend to agree with that i think 
there is a couple of reasons why they did that. Uh, for once, I think it just has a practical purpose so that the spectators, uh, the commentators and the players get used to the format. I think that's quite important. Um, and after that, obviously, you know, they probably expected some people to do better and, and to be able to choose better in a different way. It didn't work out this time, but I, I mean, yeah, sure. You spend a couple of extra days but I don't think it's a huge uh, drawback, you know. Um, and probably yeah. they had a certain number of days in mind that they wanted to make the tournament, the tournament happening. So sure, but but you can tweak around the format all you want. You can do double elimination. You can make it a bit longer if you want. Uh, but you can eliminate these. Like I don't think we should have non-competitive, like really not super competitive days. I guess that's I felt yes, that, that's your point. Yeah, yeah, a few players were playing a bit loose. Like I thought Levon. I mean, he was obviously in, in good shape at some point in the tournament, but he's obviously playing loose in this rapid and maybe doesn't care too much about the result. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and okay, Ding uh, Ding was off from the start. I, I felt it after I was the first player to play him. Yeah. I felt it after three moves. Really, huh? What gave yeah, it away? Yeah, I felt it after three moves. I'm like, this something's off. What gave it away? Um. Okay, I'll tell you. So let me, let me get my first game against him. I'll just... Uh, because it, it's obviously um, Fisher Random, so I already don't remember <laughs> some of the details. The starting I remember, position. Yeah, the starting position I actually don't remember. But um, so there was a there was a sort of uh, theme in this position, which was that we had the rook on h1, king on g1, rook on f1, and there was a bishop in on a8, so the bishop is buried down on g2, which means that the g2 pawn is a weakness, because it's not defended by any pieces rather than the king, mm -hmm. and also can't be defended by any pieces rather than the king. So very often you'll have to block with the pawn, like f3. But there are tactical ideas, like bishop takes g2, and after the king comes out, then there's a queen coming to check, and the king can't escape because f1 and h1 are both covered, and there, it's not like a knight that can jump to g3, right? So the king will have to run to the center. And on move three, uh, he plays the move, like I, I'm attacking this pawn with my bishop, opening up the idea of bishop takes g2, and he plays like some move on the other side of the board, like b3, b4, uh, within seconds. And then I was like, what is this? I He's allowing me to take on g2. And he couldn't have possibly calculated everything because his king is running to the center. And I spent some time calculating it, and I decided not to go for it because it looked like a mess, mm -hmm. which is true. It was a mess. Um, and maybe also objectively I should have gone for it because the position... I kind of underestimated the danger that I'm in. Yeah. Uh, but but just to allow that shows that something is off. Just the fact that he's allowing bishop g2, because that means he didn't see it. And yeah. it's a very, like, it's just like basic tactics, and you have 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. So, like, like, why are you rushing on the first three moves in a completely unknown position? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of the game kind of demonstrated that he was not informed because he didn't very he didn't play very well to be honest i mean the rest of the uh, tournament was uh, pretty disastrous for ding yeah actually disastrous for ding i think he scored what one and a half out of 13 games yeah if if we're not counting the like um round robin in the round robin he basically lost all his games but we can yeah. say okay round robin maybe he stopped carrying at some point but uh then also he did lose all his matches as well yeah, no, it was pretty rough. And I mean, I remember that moment when he gave up a piece long into the end game um, in one move, basically. That's just like a 
1500 mistake that you do in classical You mean chess. against me? Was that against you when he played Bishop when he 5 blundered, When he blundered rookie 3? Yes, Bishop 5 rookie 3. Yeah, that was against me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely crazy. Um but that's something that I I've noticed when I played chess uh, 960 freestyle chess before as well you get used to thinking differently than you generally think during a chess game did that happen to you as well did you have difficulties readjusting let's say once the position normalizes did you have difficulties readjusting to uh, you know seeing the usual patterns that you usually see in a chess game i mean there's some challenges there i it's hard to say you know because uh we were playing very complex positions. Of course, we made many mistakes, and and you can't always know why you're making these mistakes. Right. So I can't say it was because I, you know, I I wasn't used to typical patterns. Like I made mistakes. Sure, some of the mistakes were because of that. Some of the mistakes were just like ordinary chess mistakes. Um, I found it overall very interesting. Like if I look back on even first of all the rapid, I feel like in the rapid it was up and down, but overall was reasonably happy with my play uh i was definitely like on the better side of most games and okay i lost a bad game to vincent well he, he played well I, I didn't play too well uh i was actually very close to beating noterbeck i was like outplaying him at some point and then he made a draw and um up and down gaming as magnus was very lucky to survive i have to say mm-hmm uh, but also I played him at some moment. And okay, I beat Levon in the last round, beat Kukesh uh, in a pretty good game. So yeah, overall, I was happy with that. Then the the matches started. I played Gukesh first. I thought I'm I'm definitely should be a favorite. Yeah. Uh, but of course, he is tough. And the first game was the toughest part because uh, I was much worse losing at some moment. But there was, I don't know when it happened. It was a classical game, right? So you, normally people keep control. But more or less right when his advantage was at its greatest, he um, he suddenly did a, some very strange things. First of all, King F8. Now, I, King F8 didn't even come to mind. And yeah, when he played it, I was, I was like, I was thinking A6. Uh-huh. But suddenly he plays King F8. And I'm like, I understand in the vacuum, kind of he's trying to avoid some rook d1 rook d5 ideas so the king's gain out of the way of a pin but it's such a short position you don't expend a tempo on this like you go for concrete stuff i mean and and then it just fell apart like at some point he he went you know from winning to or even much better to to equal and then suddenly to losing and it all fell apart and then the second game was really clean i was just winning and i agreed to a draw because it won me the match yeah uh, then against Levon was um, it's an enormously difficult match. Okay, he beat me in a really tough game at the start. <laughs> I mean, it was a long game. This one he beat me, and very upsetting because I was like, I I was dead, completely dead. I I felt, and then from being dead, suddenly, I got very decent chances to draw, like very very decent. Mm-hmm. And it was surprising that somewhere like I'm more or less ready to resign. I have no time no increment nothing like i'm certain to lose this game and then suddenly i have legitimate chances to survive and then it doesn't work out at some point i i messed it up again and then i came back with a really good game so that was really uh but then i have to play this full rapid tie break which is so up that and down was insane. And... that was insane yeah finished in the yeah. armageddon really really cool match and um 
sure, you hanged a couple of rooks in the process. <laughs> Reddit was going wild about it. Any comments about uh, about Reddit going wild? You losing and hanging rooks? No, no. I mean, I understand. Of course, it's uh, it's weird. It's it's weird to make these blunders because I like I was completely in control of let's say the first rapid game. Like I can tell you, at a point when the valuation was minus four point two according to this engine that I'm looking at, mm -hmm. I have three minutes and Lev has twenty seven seconds. And and then from this moment, I like I lost this game. At, first of all, because I started to mess things up a bit, but mostly because I I just put my rook on a defended square. So uh, I should say attacked square. So he was attacking with this bishop, and. Yeah, it shouldn't happen. So I, I don't know why it happened. But then I this somehow is came an, back to this. A prime example of not recognizing patterns because you started in a different form. I don't know. I, to be honest, I, I think that it, it was like I was getting low on time and starting to like I'm feeling starting to feel like I'm messing up the game. Uh, I I had already started to have that feeling. Like once I once I played Bishop D five and then he takes only seven, I'm starting to feel like okay, it's getting very unclear all of a sudden. And you have this like, uh, like oh oh no, uh, I'm I'm doing it, yeah. I'm I have this totally get this game in the bag, and then I'm starting it. to mess it up. Yeah. And yeah, then rugby was just panic. I went down to like three seconds. I saw that he has some ideas, some threats. I wasn't even sure what, but it's like I have to do something. But everything I do, it kind of, it might allow a sacrifice on g7. It might allow some tactics. And suddenly, I I just like looked for the. It was just like an automatic move. Like I want to play c3. My first thought was I play knight d4, but then suddenly, okay, his uh, um, he plays bishop f2, and then he has like queen b7 ideas. I was like, okay, I need to play c3. So what do I do? I play rook b8. It, that was the whole thought. And then okay, he just takes my rook. Yeah. And then yeah, again he I I I came back. Then I won the first blitz game, quite nicely. Uh, I think uh, quite a good game under the circumstance. You know, like no. No serious errors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe not perfect, but no serious errors. And um, ninety-two point six percent accuracy. By the way, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. And then I just need to draw a blitz game with white, and I was feeling extremely, uh, extremely confident. I was feeling good. I didn't feel nervous. Nothing like that. And. Um, and yeah, the whole game I wasn't worse. Like maybe I was slightly worse at some one moment during the game, but more or less I, I wasn't worse. And then it's heading towards like a draw, but okay, he has to win, and suddenly I, he's giving me chances. And we get down to seconds, and I feel like okay, I, I should be winning at some moment. Um, but I'm mostly trying to find a draw, and I end up just putting my rook on an attack square again. Uh, and okay, I immediately resign the game. That sounds slash run out of time. Yeah, yeah. And then but the, you guys the thing go is, like, yeah, yeah. After rook, like in this game, right before I hung my rook, I was first thinking, okay, I'll play knight a four, and it should be a draw. And then instead of that, then I was like, hmm, I don't know the rook end game. Okay, it's a little bit tricky. It should be a draw, but this was all happening in the span of like half a second. This right. was my thought process. I was like, okay. I'll attack the b6 pawn immediately. Was and then that he'll play like after you played c7 or before you played c7? Yeah, when of course. If I don't play c7, I make my life easier. I just move my rook and then I threaten c7 to queen right. the pawn in some moment. So yeah, I, I hung my rook. I immediately, like as soon as I dropped the rook, I was like, oh, 
it's hanging and um <laughs> and then we go to armageddon yeah which was a i think a good game that was like a really good game. good game yeah yeah it felt like you had full control with the black pieces i mean 82.8 percent um, accuracy but for armageddon that's not bad in the fisher random i think yeah how much uh, how much time did you guys started with in the armageddon what were were there any bids what was the the, the yeah, yeah the we process? bid actually the bidding was my my suggestion before the tournament okay I told him like um, like there's initial dinner, all these ideas. It's funny they they were like saying they're Magnus' ideas, but they were actually my ideas. Like the first idea was I was like let's let's discuss the position beforehand. So like and I said why don't the white players and the black players get into teams and discuss the positions before the games? And then Jan goes to the other table where Magnus is sitting and he's like do you like this idea? And also asks Ding and everyone's like yeah sure. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, well, this was Magnus's idea. I'm like, no, no, this was uh, <laughs> some idea. And the other idea was, uh, I was like, okay, in the Champions Chess Tour, they bid. Uh, so that's exciting. It adds an extra element. So why don't we bid? And I also suggested that we have an increment after move 60, because personally, I didn't want to do that. So um, so that's what they adopted, the bidding and the increment after move 60. Because I, I thought it's it's ugly if people start to flag, you know? like. Yeah. Um, throwing pieces on the ground and trying to flag with seconds like one second increment just to avoid this yeah yeah no i'm definitely up for the increment after 60 moves and also it adds some sort of a race to the finish line element to it right because let's say you have a winning position but you still are 20 moves away from making it to to the 60th move and getting the increment then you still have a task ahead which definitely yeah. adds another element to, to the broadcast in general to the to the show aspect of of the games um so yeah no, uh, that was definitely, I would say, one of the most fun, if not the most fun, match to follow uh, without having too much bias. Um, but um, yeah, Magnus was also on the verge of uh, losing against Alvarez. came back and um, took in the tie breaks, which he won quite comfortably. So uh, that was, let's say, the brink of defeat for Magnus. Um, and he passed that, and then you guys met in the finals. First game, pretty balanced. Second game, the starting position, a lot of people were saying it was extremely balanced. How did you feel about the starting position? How, what happened in that final game? Yeah, I, okay, so one thing I want to say is I probably did get um, like starting positions, there's a bit of luck, right? And I, against Levin, I probably did get a bit lucky mm -hmm. with the starting position. And against Magnus, okay, I won't say this is like, I'm not going to, it's not meant to be an excuse, of course. No, no, he, of course. And I, I think he said it himself as well. He he felt that the position was much better for White. Uh, I think he mentioned that in the post-game analysis. Yeah. I, I do have to say that he, in both games, he showed excellent understanding of the starting position. So he made this move d6 on move two in the first game, which I think was an excellent way of getting a very stable, solid position, which we hadn't really considered um, before the game. We were thinking like black will play f5, d5, something like that, and then white tries to open the center. And Magnus correctly, I think, uh, recognized that, that he can try to build up a center because after d6 and e5, white can't really comfortably keep the tension. So, okay, that was... That was the first thing. The first game, he was very comfortable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the second game, he also showed, I think, excellent understanding with being the only player to make the first move G4, which is the best move. Um, by by According to engines, it's the best move. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, I, I got a bad position really quickly. Uh, the thing I is, after G the first move, right? It's already not the best. You're supposed to castle long on move one. I think that after G5, the best way to play is H5. And then after G5, G6. And then okay. you sack the B7 pawn. But you get knight C6 and you quickly will attack the B2 pawn. <laughs> That's kind of And wild. it's very sharp, but it kind of works out. Yeah. It's difficult to decide on this, yeah. but it's probably the best. And if not for that, then the best move is probably knight B6, the second best move. Again, sacking the pawn. And okay, of course, white can take it, but then black gets a lot of uh, time. But you're sacking, you're sacking material, like black plays D5, but you're sacking your queenside pawns on the first move. Yeah, that's not an easy decision. So from right. like the normal moves, I think long castle was not as accurate as knight c6. Okay. Which I felt was just like, I didn't want to put my knight on that square. Um, but long castle, I was worried that he plays c4. And then he plays knight c3. And he just attacks me because his rook is eyeing my king on the very first move. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, this is my thought process. I'll play c6. I'll build up, try to build up with d5. Knight goes to c7. And maybe I'll castle short, I was actually thinking. Uh, and then I realized that probably castling short it just takes too much time. And so I kind of pivoted. He castled. I decided to basically try to copy him like g5 long castle, knight c7. And I was hoping that after e4 that I would be able to like liquidate with e5 in some moment. And I realized that, um, yeah, very importantly that he has this h4. Uh, so he's getting the levers. You could call them levers on the queen side. I don't know, queen side or king side, whatever you want to call it. The queens are on that side, so that's why I call it queen side. But, um, so he's always has the option to break the tension, which gives him a lot of... It, it basically means that I can't really play e5 because he can always take on g5, trade queens, and take on e5, win a pawn. So these things weren't clear to me when I played the first move c6, but he understood that c6 is a mistake. And I actually did have an option after move 3, h4, to play h5. And kind of crazily, tactically, it doesn't lose for black. Mm. But it's really close to losing and still not very good. Uh, and somehow at some moment I did... You got some chances, right? I did improve my position. It was never good. But there was some moment when after move 21, queen e5, I had this move knight c4. It was probably my only chance to resist in this entire game. Mm-hmm. Rather than knight e4. The, even the chess.com engine prefers knight e4, but I, I checked it at some point with a stronger engine. And knight c4, computer says that it's bad, but uh, it's not the end of the world. But practically speaking, of course, black has a nightmare here. Weak king, pass pawn in h5. It's one of those bad positions that's also difficult to play. And then, okay, knight e4, brilliant move a4, um, basically winning the game. a4, I, I didn't spot this move when I played knight e4. Mm -hmm. I actually thought that my position after knight e4 is getting is improving compared to what it was before. But a4, I was like, I just have no move suddenly. Like he suggested a6 after the game. But um yeah, the, my worry was that after a6, he'll take on e4, and then he'll cement that knight on c5 with a5. Basically, this is what we were discussing after the game. Like once the knight on c5 gets cemented, that uh there's probably not much hope. And okay, the way I played it was even just tactically losing. So it was even stupider to play knight c3, but I, I was already in some kind of desperation. I didn't know what to do. And uh, also no increment. So I felt like I need to 
kind of keep it a bit fast, but okay, playing fast didn't help in this situation. Yeah, no. Um, again, so I would assume just to close this subject up, uh, from a player's perspective, you felt like everything went smoothly. I have to say from a spectator's perspective, it looked like a lot of fun. There were a lot of elements that I really liked, uh, pushed the envelope um, into a more, eh, you know, you might call it commercialized uh, notion or anything of that nature, but it's mostly just you're pushing uh, the envelope towards a more viewer-friendly um, competition, which I think is something that chess in general needs and it's something that's going to help help players, help chess as a whole. So, no, I think overall the tournament was a success um, and I'm very excited to hear that the guy is planning on creating like a whole circuit out of it, uh, which should be interesting. I have to say the schedule, <laughs> the chess schedule is, is getting extremely, extremely busy. You have this, you have the GCT, you have the CCT, uh, you have so many so many circuits uh, you add on top of that the world championship cycle and you have a full calendar year with tournaments after tournaments so yeah this is actually an interesting um question for chess in the future for high level chess so because yeah we have we we've already had like the big players we've known them for a long time we have fide of course always uh, been one of the biggest players or the biggest player you could say with the cycle, the infrastructure, the rating system, mm -hmm. basically their tournaments, even if they don't have the money, are uh, important. Have the prestige. Yeah, intrinsically important because they they work towards the world championship title, which is uh, which has value, which which goes beyond money, right? Sure. Yeah, it brings money in its own way, uh, and also directly. But even without the money, it would go beyond money. So it's something that. You could say I'm the world chess champion. Culturally significant, and, yes. Historically yeah. significant, and it's something that like if you could give any chess for. player in the world one uh, one achievement that would then they would say I want to be the world champion. They don't. Yeah. They wouldn't say I want to win this tournament or that tournament. They'd say I want to be the world champion. Yeah. Uh, so that's why FIDE is always going to be a huge player, and then you have Chess.com. In the last few years, has become a huge player because they have the entire online chess scene. Mm -hmm. They have, uh, they're probably the most profitable chess company, right? Because they have millions and millions of paid paying customers. So, and they host a lot of big tournaments and they attract the best players in the world, including Magnus, including uh, Hikaru, and uh, and other very popular, not only popular but strong, but you know both. Yeah, yeah. they have the popularity, they have the viewership, and, and all that. So they're another big player. And then the St. Louis Chess Club is the third big player. And the Grand Chess it, Tour. Yeah, they have they have money that they put into chess, significant amount. They have infrastructure in terms of a tournament circuit, and they attract the best players in the world. Yeah. Uh, even Magnus, who doesn't play all the tournaments, but they do attract him for several events a year. And now we're going to have a fourth big player, it looks like, if he, if he uh, continues with what he said, which, based on our current information, that seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. That he will continue organizing high-level events with a lot of money, which will certainly attract the best players in the world. And he has the money to spare. I mean, I don't know his net worth, but clearly he has the money to invest and make these very attractive tournaments for players. And Magnus has already shown his commitment to 
uh, to play in one event and probably to play in more. So not only money, but he seems to have the enthusiasm, right? He seems to be a genuine uh, chess enthusiast. Uh, he he loves it. He's taking classes from what I'm understanding. Um, he has the time, he has the resources, and he has the enthusiasm, which I think, again, it's extremely important. And yeah, sure, I mean, uh, Magnus seems to be enjoying it as well. Uh, it's a direction that he's trying to push, let's say, chess into. Uh, and how, how do you feel about it? Do, 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 do you welcome this uh, new addition? How are you going to balance? How are you going to work that balancing act between choosing the tournaments that you want to play in? Look, in general, I love chess. I really love to play chess. I, I play tournaments not because they're always like the best idea. Like sometimes it's good to rest, but I, I can't help myself. I like to play tournaments. <laughs> I mean, you played one uh, yesterday. <laughs> Maybe yeah, we'll yeah. I it. just, okay, I was just convinced like last minute. It's like, why don't you play this? I was like, okay, I'll play, play some blitz. <laughs> um, to be honest, I'll also probably play on Saturday. There's another tournament. Um, so I, I just, I really enjoy, I, I really like playing chess. Like if I, um, if I had some people in my house right now to play chess, I, I would probably be playing some blitz or, or something else as well, yeah. because I just, um, so of course the money makes it very attractive as well. Right. Um, because if you invite me to a tournament and there's also a financial incentive, then of course I'm going to be interested. And uh, yeah, the question is always like, can you actually do all of this at some point? Because it's, there's going to be so many overlapping, intersecting tournaments. The question is, can you play most of them? Can you play all of them? What do you play? What do you not play? Right? Mm -hmm. Which is a privilege to have to be able to say, uh, I, I'll play this and I won't play this because I have the choice. Great privilege to have. I'm certainly not complaining about this. Uh, but does, of course, mean that you're going to have some difficult decisions at some yeah. point right yeah do i play the do i play the world cup do i play the grand chess tour here mm -hmm. do i play the champion chess tour there do i play the uh fisher random here it's it's going to be a lot of tournaments and, and some choices will have to be made because what i've noticed is the organizers they they have enthusiasm for chess what they don't have any enthusiasm for is um scheduling their tournaments around other tournaments <laughs> sometimes they have to because that's an interesting like, point yeah yeah, they, chess organizers do not like to uh, compromise or to to um, change their plans based on others. But sometimes they have to because someone wants to play two tournaments and they they don't want to risk that they lose, let's say, Magnus or, or someone like that, right? Um, the other thing which is kind of important for this organizer is that, like traditionally, mm -hmm. uh, let's say with FIDE, you have a lot of money coming from certain countries. And there's a lot of political division as well, right? Yes. Uh, and so, so some people will certainly um, be happy to see a sponsor from a Western country, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which, uh, I mean, okay, everyone will have a different view on this. Uh, but no, I've seen that. Some I, people... I've seen that point raised um, by a lot of people online. Even I think, uh, not to single anybody out, but I think uh, Jacob Agard recently talked about it. He said that he doesn't necessarily like the fact that Magnus gets to choose a lot of things and that Hikaru, as the reigning world uh, chess 960 champion, did not participate in it. But still, you know, having uh, the possibility to, to, let's say, outsource some income from a Westerner sponsor's perspective, uh, he welcomes that. So I've seen yeah, that it's... point 
raised by by a few pundits let's say yeah you know i have i have like a very complicated um relationship with this whole concept of like where sponsorship money comes from because you know we played during the days also where sponsorship money came from very uh dirty places and we didn't really talk much about it because uh and also going back before i was even playing these tournaments right <laughs> money coming from some really really uh really shady places and now of course there's always political discussion about it but there was also time when people were completely silent so so there's that element of uh uh you know people talk about what what they want to talk about but they they might have ignored similar situations in the past yeah and um and yeah definitely like i've i've certainly played in tournaments where i don't know where the money is coming from and uh, if i had to guess probably not from the most palatable place well i think that's a byproduct of the whole landscape of media changing overall yeah with social media and pretty much anybody being able to comment in real time uh, on this type of things and yeah um there's a volatility that comes with that i guess yeah i uh, it's it's a complicated subject for sure um but i understand that for for some people of course it's um it's something that they uh they're happy about hmm. yeah uh th that's what i've like i've noticed the online kind of uh, uh discussion has been very positive for also for that reason like that was one of the reasons that there was a lot of positivity mm -hmm. uh and there was a lot of there's been negativity negativity towards other sponsorship coming from different places that people are, are um that's maybe a bit more politically divisive divisive mm -hmm. People are probably gonna. Uh, it's like um, finance and finance, yeah. Divisive, divisive. I think you can say it. Both is it? Ways. Is it? I. I think yeah, you I can say know. it both ways. You can. Okay. I think so, and that's coming from a yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> Romanian by origins. But well, um, I mean, <clears throat> if I pronounce it incorrectly, then then people will definitely point that out. I mean, I usually say finance, and I'm hearing people in finance saying no, it's finance. Finance. I think so. I finance. think that's how they say finance. Something like that. Maybe. Anyway, <laughs> point being, I think you can say it both ways. English is a complicated, complex language. But it, but in general, it's it's good, of course. I mean, uh, I, I I like the format. I I think it's fresh. Um, we can only say that overall, it's a positive thing. Yeah, that has happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um. Again, everything looked really good. Tomorrow we have a tournament. We're gonna play a tournament together. Oh, yeah. This this might be the first time. Well, actually, it is the first time that we're playing a tournament together. Played against each other. Um, played in other formats, but not together on the same team. So this should be interesting. Team chess organized by chess.com. New format: team battle chess. Basically, I think the format is two-player teams able to communicate with each other. The players are able to communicate with each other. A high-rated player, a lower-rated player, and uh, the lower-rated player has the um, has the mouse, so controls, let's say, the mechanics of the game. You can talk with your teammate. You cannot hear whatever the other team is discussing, and uh, basically, that's the format. Uh, all in all, should be interesting. I had some doubts about it. I had some questions about it. Like, 
okay, I mean, I don't want to sound uh, uh, defeating in some regard, but, you know, obviously the... Uh, you're going to make most of the decisions in our team. Uh, I would assume in the team that we're facing Anish and Danny Wrench. Anish is probably going to make most of uh, the decisions going up until, let's say, the final moments of the game. The um, time scrambles of the games in which the player doing the mechanical work will probably um, have a say. How do you see the dynamic playing out. Uh, yeah, I, to be honest, I don't know. Um, I I think that I'm not going to like I'll give input, but I'm not going to um, tell you like I think this is a move that you must play because I I think no, what we're discussing, might right we're discussing. yeah yeah I no I think that the only way to get a really big advantage out of this is to discuss yeah because there's going to be like sometimes you have tunnel vision, right? There's some things that I'm going to see that are um, maybe I'm like not seeing the full picture. And then if you say something that I'll maybe like be able to see the full picture a bit better. And like, I, I noticed discussion definitely helps. I, I even played a game like casual blitz game against Levon plus Jordan. And they discussed, like it was supposed to be basically like I, I play it myself and they alternate moves. Okay. But instead what happened was they just discuss every move. And and that is super helpful. It it really does make uh someone play much better. But if they you can are actually also hearing their discussion, right? Well, okay, but it's more distracting for me because they're because I have to make my moves on my own and they're just discussing the position when they're when they have to to play, right? They were not discussing on your move. They were not you're not really thinking about what well they're, they're not giving me advice they're giving themselves advice okay okay yeah that makes sense that makes yeah sense. it's I, I i've noticed that it is like just very helpful because it's it's no longer like you feel pressure it's like you rather than having the pressure like you're going into something and and you're alone suddenly you just talk it out with someone and it takes away all of the um you're sharing the responsibility a little bit yeah it sort of takes away like the sportive part of it where uh where you're supposed to be on your own and you take these responsible decisions and part of that is a challenge that you have that you're responsible for every decision every move but if you can discuss things like i i say something and you're like oh wait but what about this and then i'm like oh well, actually that's a good point and um it's just overall very it makes it easier it just makes it easier to play so i think that's the discussion is going to be the deciding factor in these matches who can discuss better who can um yeah, who can communicate better? At say. the same time, you know, um, it can only it, it can also play this type of discussion can also play into let's say the accuracy of a decision. Um, maybe I convince you of playing something, and down the line we realize that it was the wrong decision, or you know, maybe Danny convinces Anish just to give an example from a different team um, of something that's not accurate down the road, uh, and it doesn't have to be let's say a tactical. Uh, thing it can also be just a misunderstanding of the position by um, one of the players so you still have to juggle this type of decision making process yeah i think what what will be important is that at some point we'll get into time trouble and yeah. at that moment it's important probably for you not to ever be in a panic mode mm. because you'll always have 10 seconds of thinking time mm -hmm. and like if you're going for a move which is an obvious blunder i can always 
Uh, I can be like the blunder check, right? So we'll probably be mostly following your intuition, but if you're going for something that's like a very obvious mistake, I'll be like the the blunder check in the background. How would I uh, tell you though that I'm thinking of making the move? Like we should probably decide well, yeah, on that we should, order. Like we let's say we have discussing. 15 seconds, you, right? It's based the way that I think that you do it is that you just you just talk as if you're streaming. Mm -hmm. You're just going through your thought process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I'll be thinking about the position. And uh, if I notice something that I feel is really off in your thought process, then I can interject. And I think we should and, also make sure that we're thinking and discussing very much on their time as well, especially as we go oh, yeah. into those last few yeah. seconds. Like I make the move, I gain the time, and now it's their uh, you know, turn to make the move. And they still have, let's say, 20 seconds on the clock those five to 10 seconds that they're thinking about their move, we should maximize in terms of communication. Yeah, we can use their time as well to our advantage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I don't know. I haven't done this before in like a serious way. <laughs> and okay, the thing is, I, I think that um, with all due respect, Danny, you know, I, Danny's a friend. Um, he, he's a weak link. Oh my goodness. He's, uh, I, oh he's, my he's a weak link in this match. I mean, okay. Look, I think that Anish, uh, you know, he might ruin it himself, but but Danny is is uh, is a weak link for sure. Anish is in great shape. I mean, Anish just won the title Tuesday, his first title Tuesday while streaming. I mean, it's okay. But now, now there's recession to the mean. So he had a huge success. Okay. He's uh he's feeling very high on top he's of the on world. Top of the world. Uh -huh. And now. It's it's all gonna it's it's going down, it's all going very downhill for, for my. My good friend Anish Giri, AG as he calls himself. Uh, AG AG one. Did you watch his stream? I think it was it was a great stream. I really enjoyed watching it. Um, I did not watch his stream. I have to say I had other things, more productive things uh, to do, but I did hear good things about it and. Um, you know, I, I did go through the last couple of minutes of his last game. Um, he seemed very happy, very joyous, you know, um, enjoying the laurels of winning his first title Tuesday. It definitely felt like an, um, a happy stream. Let's just put it that way. It was a happy stream. Yeah, he, he certainly was happy. We That's have to uh... tone him down tomorrow. We, we have to put him down tomorrow. Put him down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's a, I mean, strong words, but we um, need to eliminate them from from the competition. So I guess you can say, put them. Back is it a there. single elimination or a double elimination? I think it's a single, single elimination. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Two games, two game mini match, ten plus ten. Us versus Anish and Danny, the uh, CEO and CCO of Chess.com. Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, the other teams are also quite interesting, I have to say. Um, by the way, I say interesting in like the normal way, not in a <laughs> new way. <laughs> like the bracket, um, the bracket, if if you've seen it. So the other teams are Jordan Van Forest, Eric Hansen, mm -hmm. Ikaru Nakamura, Levy Rosman. They're playing a match as well. That's a content, content team. Yeah, and the chess bra team, right? I well, think Jordan. I guess, Jordan's a chess bra. I don't know. Is Jordan yes. a chess bra? 
Yeah, 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 I think so. I think so. But I'm actually kind yeah. of curious. Why? Why is Amon not playing? Okay, because uh, they probably thought Eric and Amon would not be strong enough. Although, I think that Jordan and Eric is pretty pretty tough. They're both very no, good players. They, they, it, it's a great team. It's a great team for probably sure. like they do average rating or something. And uh, yeah, the thing is, like, I don't think my rating being whatever, however many points over Jordan's is like, it's not like I'm, that's a real difference. I think that the, um, that like Eric is, is a really strong second player. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I Compared mean, to like both of them, they're maybe not the same level in classical chess or at least not according to the ratings, but Eric is, a, is a very good blitz rapid player for sure. Sure. Yeah. He's a very, very good blitz player. Um, yeah. Rapid as well. And then you have Hikaru and Levy. Uh, again, with all due respect to Levy, he's um, but he's a good blitz player. He's like he's he's better relatively at blitz than his classical rating would much suggest. Much better, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Much better. So I would he say. he's he's still a good player, but I, I think that this team will also be a bit shaky. I don't know how that will go. Mm -hmm. Then another very dangerous team, I think, Robert Hess, Daniel Naroditsky, because mm -hmm. Danya is a really good player, mm -hmm. and I also think he might have like a excellent kind of feel for these things. As well, I don't know. I mean, that's just speculation, but he might have an excellent feel for like how to play team chess. Mm -hmm. And Robert's a really good blitz player. He's like twenty nine hundred chess dot com. So well, I mean, Dania is what thirty one hundred, thirty two hundred on a good day. Um, so obviously yeah. a player with a lot of experience. Um, Robert as well. Also Peter and Jan. That's that's a very decent team as well. You know, I I don't uh, I don't think that that's I think that Dania and, and Robert will beat them. Really? I really okay. do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then Peter Leko and uh, Pia Kramling versus Wesley and uh, Alice. Yeah, I don't know. This is this is hard to judge. I think maybe Peter and uh, Pia could surprise us because mm -hmm. they might be considered an underdog. But you know, they're they're both really. Uh, I mean, obviously, Peter um, was a, a very very top player who played a world championship match, and Pia is. Uh, one of the greatest women players of all time, for sure. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Um, she's uh, she's still like top fifty, which is uh, amazing because she's uh, you know obviously she's uh, she's far older than many of the other um, uh, top players in the world, right? So she's competing with players who are who are much much her junior. Yeah. And uh, she's 32 in the world currently, which is, is really remarkable for someone who like maybe isn't fully a professional player anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And, um, very, very good. Yeah, so that's a good team. Well. That's, but I don't know. It's hard to say because a lot of it is communication, and the same with Wesley and Alice. I think um, also like can they communicate is a question. But it could be a really good team. It could be. It might not work out. It might work out very well. Hard to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Um, definitely looking forward to it. I'm very excited about the tournament. Should be fun. Should be an interesting battle against the boys. Um, Danny and uh, and Anish. Looking forward to it. What else has been happening? I think that's that covers, well, uh, the most important, let's say, subjects of the week. Um, we still have some time before the American Cup, and I'm sure we're going to tackle that discussion at some point uh, in the next episode. And um, 
all the other things that are happening. One last thing that I really want to talk to you. We always talk about it, um, but I just saw this on Reddit and it was mind mind blowing to me. So top juniors classical feeder ratings from February 2021. This was exactly three years ago. In number one, Ali Reza Firuja, 27.59. Okay, understandable, 17 years of age. Abdusatorov, Nihal, and Pragnananda in second and third and fourth position. The only players, the only junior players at that point in time to be over 2,600. Keep that in mind. Now, if you go fast forward three years to present day, you have Kukesh, 2700, 2747, Pragnananda, 2747, Abduzatorov, 2744, Keimer, 2738, and Sindarov, 2701. So you have five players that are over 2700. Um, Wait, let me me get this right. Uh, So in three years ago, there were only how many players over 2600? In the junior list, three players. Is that really? That doesn't. How can that be? Because that's 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 what I'm no, saying. Yes. How can that be? No, no, no. So no, Firuja over twenty seven. No, no. This was because of inactivity from COVID. I'm sure. Maybe. Maybe. No, no. Yes. Because look, I, I, I. But I it's crazy. Ra- the the discrepancy is crazy, isn't it? I I don't I don't think so because like we have inact. I, of course, now a lot of these players they reach twenty seven forties, but that was inactivity due to. COVID, because I, I can tell you, like my generation, uh, I first broke 2,600 in 2000, uh, 2007, end of 2007. So I was, uh, I was like 15. Um, and I think I was a late bloomer compared to like, if you look at Wei Yi, if you look at Magnus, if you look at maybe Karyakin, um, if you look at, uh, who else? Okay, I wasn't like a super late bloomer, but some of these like if you look at I don't know Negi for example, I sure. think he broke twenty six hundred at like fourteen. Yes. Um, so it can't be that like specifically that time period was so so, so unusual that uh, players weren't reaching twenty six hundred. I think it was just inactivity. Players weren't on the list due to COVID, or they just weren't playing because of COVID. Could could very much. Uh, that's that's they, an yeah. That's an outlier for sure. It's um. Yeah, like, that, that was February 2021. So that was basically one year during COVID, right? So 2020 I don't think more or less so, stolen away from COVID. I don't think it's so different these days than if we go back. Like, let me try to think. Okay, so Magnus, he became 2,700 at which age? Was it 16? I'll tell you in a second. How old is he now? 33 yeah he was born in 1990 december something 33 so in 2007 he was november 30 sorry in 2007 he was more or less 17 right or 18 i well which wait no 2007 he would be but which month he would be 17 or 16 okay so at age 16 he broke 2700 yeah that sounds about right I broke 2700 in 2009 or 10. I think 2010, maybe nine on the live list. So I would have been 17. Um, okay, question so for I was, you. I was a bit bit older than him. Uh, I was a bit more uh, late compared to him, which is natural. Let's look at um, 
Anish, for example. But I have a question for you before that. Mm-hmm. So Magnus broke 2700, 2710 in July 2007. And at that time, he was the number two junior in the world. Do you know who was number one? Um, until uh, Rajabov? 2007. Rajabov. Okay. Okay. I actually don't know the answer. <laughs> I just oh, saw I don't that. Know. The oh, you, oh so you saw that he was... Uh, it it, wait, it just uh, says that he was number two. So I don't know exactly. I'm going to do my research later on today and maybe people can point it in the comments who was number one. Because um, Rajabov was born in, I think, 87. So he would have been around the right age to still be a junior. And 19 be... or 20. Yes. Yeah. yeah so Rajabov would be a very natural pick, but other players it could be could be hikaru that's the only other thing i could think of okay that's but i would i would actually guess that hikaru was a bit of a late bloomer compared to like rajabo so i would i would guess rajabo interesting interesting yeah and then it only so already two months later actually no not two months later in january 2008 when he was 17 he was already number one junior at 2733 so yeah um so let's yeah. look like when did um when did Anish become twenty seven hundred for the first time? So let me see. Rating Anish, so, I'll tell you. It looks like he first broke it in July two thousand eleven, and he was born in ninety four. So Correct. seventeen as well. Seventeen also, yeah. Sixteen, seventeen. He was uh, seventeen. On... He was seventeen. Okay. He was seventeen so, and he was number three junior at that time. If you look at like my generation, I would consider like Anish a bit younger than me, but my generation, Magnus a bit older, but my generation, it's all 16, 17, and in case of like Wei Yi, 15, mm-hmm. very early. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the current tr- crop of juniors, they're extraordinary, but I don't think it's like a new thing entirely that like 18, 19, 17-year-olds are 27-something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems... I, I think accurate yes i think it's more or less on par with what we can expect from the best talent in the world like gukesh prague noterbeck keimer sindarov um yeah it, the interesting thing is that the youngest is the number one gukesh he's mm-hmm. the youngest and he's also the well number one is a bit funny to say because they're, he's they're tied exactly with prague, the same rating okay. yeah yeah yeah, yeah he, he they're the same rating and he's a bit younger so, that was definitely the case in 2021. Alireza was by far like 2763, and he was also the youngest, I think, or among the youngest, uh, but by far yeah. number one. Yeah, the interesting thing will be like there's some guys on this junior list who are a bit on the younger side, specifically Mishra and Maritzi, a bit on the younger side. Mm-hmm. Will they pick up the steam to get to, like, let's say, Gukash, Prague, Noterbeck level, Keimer as well, obviously. Will they like keep up the because the you have to keep up the pace, right? To keep up with these these talents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Keep the pace. But it's yeah. interesting. I, I yeah, they're it's funny, a lot of these names I've seen them for a long time, but they're still so young. Like Merzen, I've seen him for forever, but he's only seventeen. So it's it's not like uh that's what that's what the funny thing about Wei Yi, because everyone like everyone knew him as this almost top player at 15. Mm-hmm. And then because he didn't make enormous progress from 15 to like the age of 20, I don't know, 23, 24, mm-hmm. people started to think of him as like, uh, you know, kind Retired. of like over the, <laughs> Retired. Yeah, which, is, which is crazy. And then suddenly crazy, he, yeah. 
he became top 10 recently and people remembered oh he's actually a really young guy he's uh 24 right he's not he's not some retired player he's actually a guy pretty much at his prime so no reason to count him out of um yeah it's like sometimes our our concept of of like a professional career and when it might take off is a little bit maybe inaccurate right like mm -hmm. also duda the guy's 25 some people might think oh he's you know he's been on the scene so long that he's no longer uh one of those like talented youngsters but okay 25 is still quite a talented uh, young player yeah i mean nepo didn't break through you know the crop of the crop until he was what 26 27 something like that yeah i would say 27 let's say yeah, he's an that. exception but still it can definitely happen you can definitely sure. make that push from 2750 around that to like 2800 even in your late 20s yeah I, I i agree with that for sure he's um he's a good example but there's other good examples as well um boris gelfand he played a world championship match in 2012. i think boris was probably born in 1969 uh let me check let's see 1968 mm -hmm. so yeah i mean he he was uh 40 not not a super young player when he played his yeah yeah he, he wasn't a super young player when he played his first world championship match and almost won and uh almost became world champion right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah anyway he actually that's... reached his peak at that time 2777 november 2013 um or close to that time so, yeah he was he was a top five player for quite a long time yeah um he was he was definitely a very very great player yeah. but uh yeah sometimes we forget because there's so many great players that it's uh easy to forget um about all of their achievements and a very successful real estate agent as well okay people will not get that joke there's no <laughs> it's too uh too meta there's no way okay Follow... He's not actually a real estate agent. I just want to <laughs> explain that. This follow uh, Fabi's Twitter if you want to know more. <clears throat> okay. Um, I think that ends our episode. Fabi, we'll, I'll see you tomorrow. We'll see everybody. Probably this episode, hopefully, is going to air before the match. So um, see you all on chess.com. Follow the match. Support us. And uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll make it through but uh, definitely going to be a fun one. Cheers, guys. Bye, bye, bye.